Good morning. Thanks so much for letting me spend a few moments with you this morning. Um, just because I'm the communications director does not mean I'm a great communicator. Um, but my hope is tonight that I can communicate clearly enough to you the heart of the gospel. And uh, it's quite an honor. Thank you so much to the pastoral staff here for allowing me to have an opportunity to share and kind of land the plane on this great series that you guys have been in so far. Just like Pastor Jason mentioned earlier, what a gift yesterday was. It hit the 80s, which is amazing around here. Hopefully you had a moment to spend some sort of time outside soaking it in, enjoying it. I don't know, I, I've, if you've lived in, uh, in this area for any length of time, when those temperatures start to rise, people come out of their homes as if they have been in hibernation. And uh, all of a sudden, like, the neighborhood is full of people. And maybe even more so in this past season we've come through because we've been a little bit more isolated. But, like, our, my neighborhood yesterday, people were just wandering around almost as if they had seen outside for the first time. And we all kept six feet away from one another as we ought to. But I spoke with one of my neighbors yesterday. They had just gotten back from a spring break trip uh, to, to Florida, to, to Disney. And they, it was like a combination spring break trip and a birthday gift for uh, for their son, who was turning 10. And uh, I was having the conversation with our neighbor, and, and, and she had shared with me that when, when she shared with them that they were going, there was a surprise until they left. It was like she had all the bags packed, and like that morning they were going. And they, she had shared with, uh, with her son, it, for his birthday, we're going to Disney. That was going to be his big birthday gift, which if you ask me, that sounds like a fantastic birthday gift. But in the mind of a young kid, there was a little bit of, there was like that like nerve-sighted, right? Like a little nervous, look excited. And so they were excited about going to Disney, but their follow-up question was, um, so is that my own, is that the only gift? Is that my, is that my, is, like I want to go to Disney, but like, is that it? Is that all I'm going to get? And she's like, well, may, you know, maybe you can pick, up some, pick out something when you're there. But this idea of like, uh, you know, for a kid, like, okay, that sounds great. I don't think we fully understand what a trip to Disney is when we're 10 years old, right? We don't understand. And, and we have to trust the heart of the giver. We have to trust that, uh, that this is a great gift. And in my family, there's, there's, two, types, there's two types of givers, and they exist both simultaneously in my family and in my wife's family. And maybe you can identify which family this is in your family as well. And so it shows up most frequently on, uh, on Christmas morning or on Christmas Day. And um, my family is the good kind of family that when somebody gives you a gift, you're, you're thankful. And you're trained up for this from a very young age. It does not matter what the gift is. It is the best gift you have ever received. And you are so thankful that they would think of you. Thank you so much. So thoughtful, so grateful. We know how to do it. And then there is my wife's family, who is a very, very honest family. And if the gift is not exactly what they were going for, it is followed up by a quick, thank you. Do you still have the receipt for this? <laughs> right? I don't know which is better, to be totally honest with you. One is more honest, I won't tell you which, and the other is you get what you want, right? So, um, so there's, there's, two types of, there's two types of givers, there's two types of receivers, and what I have found in my experience is what's more important than the gift that's given is the heart that it's given with, right? The gift can be just about anything, but your heart has to be in sync. The receiver and the giver, our hearts have to be on the same page. They have to be in sync. And then we find the significance of the gift. We all love receiving gifts. 
partially because we're getting something new, but also because receiving a gift communicates that the giver cares for us. It communicates that we are cared for. A gift is a sign that someone loves us. But to really make the gift valuable, the heart of how it is given is so important. I want you to mean it, right? The same thing is true when we give an apology, right? How many times have you had a conversation with your child or when you were a child and you have to go apologize for something? And then, and then and they, they're like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do it. And then you're like, no, 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 I want you to mean it right? And then all of a sudden, the second attempt of it means something more, right? Like, no, I really am sorry this time. I, the first time, yeah, you got, you got me. But the, the meaning of the gift is what is so important. My cat, we have two cats, and my cat loves giving gifts, right? Sometimes they'll, they'll give a gift at the front porch, right? So proud is your cat. This is unique to cats, not dogs. We have a dog as well. I, I love him more. Um, <laughs> But this cat will present its gift on the front porch to us in a, in a variety of different conditions. Sometimes they will, if they're really extra loving that day, they will present the gift in the shoe, right? It's a very special gift that they leave in the shoe for you because they know that you will find it. You'll be so grateful when it is received. The heart of the giver is what really matters, not so much the gift. Even parents see this with their kids, right? <clears throat> Your child gives you this amazing work of art, and it's the heart of the giver, right? More so than the gift itself. And so we take that beautiful work of art and we place it at the seat of honor in our house, the refrigerator, right? My kids are like, why do we put all of our artwork on the refrigerator? Well, sweetie, it is the place that daddy spends the most time staring. Therefore, your beautiful artwork will be seen the most. God demonstrated his love for us as well. He demonstrated his love for us by giving us Jesus. And an amazing supernatural transaction takes place when this happened. When God gave us Jesus, his greatest treasure, his heart followed, and our dead, broken, sin-diseased hearts were given new life. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why would God do that? Why would he do this for us? Did I do something to deserve this gift? Do I even deserve that kind of love? Or maybe you're asking yourself the question, does God really care at all? Does he really love me? Many of us believe the lie sometimes too that our behavior or our background or the mistakes that we have made has disqualified us from God's love. And even followers of Jesus fear that our repeated sin has made us useless in God's hands. We find ourselves confused about our identity, lost our boldness, maybe even lost the very pulse of God's heartbeat. Why does God love us? And how do we know it? And if we desire to be men and women after God's own heart, how do we know what God's heart is like? And how does, our, how does it reveal our identity, our mission, the very purpose for our lives? I want to take some time this morning and look at a very well-known passage of Scripture that talks about the heart of God, and it's found in John chapter 3. 
If you want to get on your device or your Bible or whatever you've got and turn to John chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 16. But as you're going there, I want us to understand the gospel of John as well as John 1, 2, and 3, you might be surprised, was written by none other than John, right? Very helpful that he titled his letters. Actually, I don't think he titled them, but very helpful nonetheless. You see, he was a disciple of Jesus, and throughout the gospel, he refers to himself as the one Jesus loved, which I find interesting because I've heard Pastor Jason refer to himself as the one that Pastor David loved, which I find very interesting, especially when he presents that in front of his wife, Pastor Vicki, but... I think the reason why John wants to reveal this information to us is not that he's trying to make himself look more proud, but he's communicating to us the intention of the relationship he had with Jesus, the closeness of the relationship that he had with Jesus. And one of the reasons why we can hear that echoed is relationship was so important to John. In fact, it's the heartbeat of the gospel of John is the relationship between Jesus and God the Father and the relationship between us and our Savior, Jesus. And so let's take a moment and read in John chapter 3, starting in verse 16. This is what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but God But people loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done and has been done in the sight of God. If you have to have the heart of God, we need to know the heart of God. And it starts by examining this passage and specifically the gift that has been given to us. And this is the first gift. God gave us his son. God gave us the gift of Jesus. In John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God demonstrated, or he showed his love to us by giving us his son. John wanted to make it clear that God's motivation is love and concern for us. God's love for all of us is so great that he showed it by giving up his most prized possession. One of the significant things that we can see in this about the heart of the giver is the sacrifice that is made. Love requires sacrifice. Love requires sacrifice. 
there's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting concept that not just Christians, but a lot of Christians follow as it relates to this idea of love languages. And maybe you've read a book or you've read an article about love languages and you have a sense of what your love languages is. If you aren't, some examples of love languages uh, are, are things like um, gift giving, uh, quality time, acts of service, uh, physical touch. And um, when I take a look at my girls, I have, I have five girls, and when I take a look at my girls, they have a, an interesting combination of the love languages, right? And every father prays that he's got uh, children whose love languages is acts of service, right? Because that's, that's just, you know, that's how we receive love from people. And, uh, and I, my, well, I've got a set of twins, and the youngest of my two twins, I'm already terrified because clearly right now her love language is physical touch. She, it doesn't matter where I'm at in the house. It doesn't matter what we're doing. She's tucked and nestled somewhere next to me, right? And so I try to fill that little bucket with as much love as I can so that when she's anywhere else in her life, the bucket is to the brim full, right? Right? And, but, but as we know, regardless of the type of love language you have, it requires some sort of sacrifice. If your love language is gift-giving, it's the sacrifice of, of maybe your finances to be able to give something thoughtful and considerate. If, you're, if your love language is quality time, it's the sacrifice of time to spend with somebody. If your love language is, is acts of service, it's, it's the surrendering of ourself and what our wants are to be able to give to somebody else. But love requires sacrifice. I have a statement that I often use when I'm speaking about the gift of grace, which was given freely to us by God through the work of Jesus Christ, and it's this. Just because it was a free gift doesn't mean it was a cheap gift. How many of you know there's the difference between a free gift and a cheap gift? Just because the gift of grace was free does not mean that it was cheap. Salvation through Jesus may be a free gift, but it doesn't mean it's a cheap gift. In fact, it cost God everything. Love requires sacrifice. The love that we were shown through the gift of Jesus is hard for us to grasp, though. Not because God is so good. Many of us understand God is good or some concept that we have of God. He's a good God. He's a great God. He's a loving God. But the the gift of grace that's given to us, the, the, the gift that God has given us is so hard for us to understand, not because God is good, but because we are so bad. Why would we deserve such a gift? Here's the next thing that we learn in this passage, though. God gave despite our sin. God gave the gift of love, not because we deserved it. He gave it in spite of our sin. In fact, we'll find he gave it because of sin. This is what it says in John 3, 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. God made man good, but we chose evil. 
In the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, we're told that God created man and woman good, but we chose to rebel against God so that we could be like God, knowing both good and evil. That's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, that that's explained. Ever since that moment, we have been choosing to do the same thing. Christians, or anybody who interacts with the scripture or the understanding of the fall of humanity, we always struggle with this idea, like, thanks a lot, Adam and Eve, you guys are the worst, right? Thanks for bringing sin into the world, but the reality is we would do the same exact thing. How do I know this? Because we do the same exact thing. Does this sound familiar to you? Don't tell me what to do. Who are you to tell me what's right and wrong? I'll decide what's best for me, right? It's the same lie that we have believed from the very beginning. I know what's best for me. I'll be my own God. I'll decide what's right for me. And ever since that first decision, we have chosen rebellion, and it is called sin. Sin runs so deep that without God, there is not a single area of your life that is not affected by sin. All the sickness, the violence, the pain, hatred, death, all the brokenness of the world all the brokenness that the world experiences is a result of our willing choice to sin. And it's not just the result of a few really bad people. It is a universal pandemic. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. To do a little um, biblical exegesis of this scripture, the word all there means all, everyone, all of us, without exception, all have sinned, all fall short. Our sin leaves us condemned and separated from God. John 3.17 tells us that through, uh, though, that Je though Jesus did not come, and tells us though that Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He did not come to point out our sin. Jesus didn't come to let us all know we're sinners and that there's something wrong with us or to tell us now you're in big trouble. Jesus, the, the, the verse 17 here tells us that the world was already condemned. His coming did not condemn us. We were already condemned because of sin. And that con condemnation ultimately means death. It's similar to us going to the dentist's office, and I hope there's not any dentists or doctors in here, but I'm not, I'm, not point, I'm not saying this is your fault, but when I go to the dentist and the dentist tells me to open up my mouth and they're like, oh my goodness, your gums, what is wrong with your gums? What is wrong with your teeth? I'm like, what if I were to like spit that little thing holding my mouth open and the little water back at him and like, listen, dentist, maybe if you were doing your job, my teeth wouldn't be terrible, right? No, no, no. It's not the dentist's fault that I don't floss as regularly as I should. It's not the doctor's fault that my cholesterol numbers are too high, right? That has already happened before I walked in. They just help me identify what is broken, what is wrong. And likewise, God is not responsible for your sin. It's not his rules that all of a sudden now we're sinful. We were already sinners, already condemned. The only one responsible for your sin is you. 
Our sin has already condemned us, but God has provided a way for us to be saved from our sin through Jesus. Despite our sin, God sent Jesus to save the world through him. John 3.18 tells us that whoever believes in him is not condemned. Our belief in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus gives us restored eternal relationship with the Father. This is what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. This was a gift given out of love to us while we were still God's enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm still the enemy of someone, I haven't asked for their forgiveness yet. I haven't done anything nice to them yet. I haven't done anything good for them yet. I am still their enemy. And yet God says in that condition, he still gave us Jesus while we were still his enemies. He saved us. We were dead in our sin. And this is my third point. God gave us new life. While we were dead in our sin, God gave us new life. John 3, 19 through 21 says this, Light has come into the world, but, God loved, or, but people love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone does evil and hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may be seen plainly for what they have done. And, and has been done by in the sight of God. John here describes two types of people, those who choose to stay in the darkness and those who choose to come into the light. We love the darkness because it hides our flaws. Darkness allows our mistakes to go unnoticed. The truth about who we are can be hidden in the darkness. Lies can believed, be believed and there in the darkness, sin abounds. However, in the light comes truth, comes life. Who we really are, who we were meant to be, what our purpose is, is found in the light. And our brokenness can be healed. Light can be uncomfortable, right? This light right here exposes all this. You don't record in ultra 4K, do you? Light can be uncomfortable. It makes our sin known, brings it to the surface, but it forces us to trust and love the one who can make us new, Jesus. When we're honest about our inability to solve our own hurt and our pain, our brokenness, our sin, it frees us up, from, uh, it frees us up to stop trusting in ourselves and to start to trust in Jesus. What an amazing gift that we've been given. What unfathomable love we've been shown. God gave us his greatest treasure and his heart followed. I have a twin sister and no, we're not identical. <laughs> I don't know what it is about twins. People get excited when they see, hear about twins, right? They're like, oh, twins, are you guys identical? And I tell them, yes, she looks exactly <laughs> like me, unfortunately for her. No, we are not identical twins, but we do have one thing in common. We both have a heart condition. We both have different but similar heart conditions. She has something called mitral valve prolapse, which basically means one of the valves in her, heart's, one of the valves in her heart is lazy. Now, 
Michelle, if you're listening to this, I'm not saying you're lazy. I'm saying your heart is lazy. Well, no, I'm not actually saying you have a lazy heart. I'm saying one of the valves in your, anyways. So she has mitral valve prolapse. I have something called premature ventricular contractions, which is another type of lazy heart, which basically means when I overwork myself, my heart just gets tired. It decides it doesn't want to beat correctly, and it just skips beats. That's a great heart. I, you know, although I, that's, that is kind of how I live my life. When I get tired and lazy, I just decide to skip things. But my heart does the same thing. And it's, there's, there's this term called arrhythmia. And that's when your heart gets out of rhythm. Arrhythmia. Isn't it true that when it comes to our hearts spiritually, they're all a little weak? They're all a little lazy. Maybe sometimes it beats for the wrong reasons. Certainly in many ways it is broken and flawed. Allow me to propose this morning that God not only gave us the greatest gift, his greatest treasure, but he also gave us his heart. God gave us his heart. It's my fourth point for today. And in doing so, he also revealed to us what he loves most, you and me. God gave us his heart. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus teaches us something very important about the way our hearts work. In Matthew 6, 21, it says, For, for, where, for where, what you tre- where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Now, most often we get this verse backwards, and we believe it to mean that um, whatever, whatever, it is that our, we, whatever it is that our heart wants, we treasure the most. But that's not what this verse says. It says, whatever you treasure the most, there your heart will also be. Whatever we tre- when we think of treasure, we think of money. We think of treasure chests and gold doubloons, something like that. I don't know why that is. But that's not what it's talking about here. It's not talking about financial treasure here. What it's talking about is whatever it is that we value the most, whatever we love the most, whatever we give our hearts to. Another way to put it is, whatever you love the most is your God. Whatever you love the most is your God. It's what you give your life to. It's what you give your heart to. It's what you sacrifice for. It's what you worship. When God gave us his heart, it revealed to us his greatest treasure because his heart follows what he treasures. Here's the spoiler alert. Here's what God loves most. You. God loves you the most. 2 Peter 3.9 reminds us that God's desire is that none should perish. John 3.16 says, motivated by love, God gave us Jesus so that none should perish. God's heart beats for people. That's why he gave us Jesus. That's why he gives us new life. And that's why he gives us his heart. God's heart beats for people. If our worship team could make their way up. And when we treasure anything more than Jesus, anything other than people knowing about and being saved by Jesus, then our hearts are out of sync with God and we find ourselves in spiritual arrhythmia. Our heart gets out of beat with God's heartbeat. To have the heart of God, you need to know the heart of God. God's heart beats, none should perish. None should perish. Our heart should beat until all know. Until all know God's truth. When we're out of sync with God's heartbeat, when we treasure anything else other than what God treasures, we find ourselves in spiritual 
arrhythmia. And just like medical arrhythmia, we get weak and tired and disoriented and we don't know which direction to go and we don't know the will of God because our treasure is somewhere else and our heart has followed. There's a complex procedure that helps people that's suffering with arrhythmia and it's a procedure called an ablation an ablation. And this is what a surgeon does. A surgeon goes in with a laser and they expertly remove the defective tissue that is causing the arrhythmia. Does this process sound familiar to anyone else? The great physician going into the darkest corners of our heart with the light of Jesus, removing what is defective in our hearts. James A.K. Smith, a theologian and the writer of the book, You Are What You Love, says this. Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into our mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, your longings. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his loves and longings, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all and all, a vision encapsulated in the shorthand, the kingdom of God. So what is it that you treasure? What is your heart following? Have you received the gift of God's grace? If you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you find yourself in a season of spiritual arrhythmia. Do you have the heart of God? Do you treasure what he treasures or do you need a spiritual ablation? Does our mission reflect God's mission? Does our heart beat until all know? Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Father, this morning, we know that the starting line for some of us is to receive the heart of God if we've not received it before. And so, Father, with our heads bowed this morning, if, we, if there are those in the service this morning who recognize there is a need for relationship with Christ, that sin has separated them from you, that, that they are in need of being restored, that they are in need of a new heart, I pray that your Holy Spirit would communicate clearly to them this morning. And as they make a decision to follow Christ, it's as simple as an announce, a, a pro- proclamation with their mouth that they are sinners. And so if you want to make a decision to follow Christ this morning, either here or online, pray along with me. Father, I recognize I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I choose my own way and not your way. And because of that, I am condemned to death. But I thank you that you gave us Jesus so that I can have new life. Take my heart and replace it with your heart as Lord of my life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. For those of you this morning that have made a decision to follow Christ, but you find yourself out of sync with God's heart this morning, as we close in, in some worship here, it's a great opportunity to give our heart, get our hearts in sync with God. Listen to the words that you're singing. Respond to them. If it's not the cry of your heart, ask the Holy Spirit to help your heart be in line with the words of these songs. And allow this to be a moment of spiritual ablation where the light of the gospel comes in and removes what is broken in our hearts this morning. Would you stand as we worship?